0: Go ahead and turn your Bible, that's Galatians 6, Galatians 6. We're going to find ourselves just in one other space in the Bible, but um, no matter how old you are, from my, my four-year-old to my 104, I want that word out, is God's word is better than mine, so have a pen, have a highlighter, it's time to get to work as we close this study in Galatians. I might have said five, Galatians 6, I'm sorry. Galatians 6. Man, I'm really blessed, as I told to you, as I saw those young kids up there talking about Wednesday night, and I'm so blessed when I see, like, the kids sitting with other kids and, like, living life together and, and loving being at church. That really blesses me. Um, Lennon was over here, she was begging to go sit with Mr. Brock and Wendy was like, no, you can't go sit with Mr. Brock. And she said, that's my soccer coach. He came to see me. And you know what? Um, he didn't, but we, so we loved hearing it. We loved hearing that. And if Mr. Brock took her, he'd be giving her back really soon, okay? So, but it makes me happy. It makes me happy that she wants to sit with him. Now, if you've been with us, if you haven't, understand where we are. We've been in two months. This is week eight of Galatians. If you've missed any Sundays, they're in every platform that Stony can upload it. So um, you can find us on every um, site and internet um, resource that you have on your phone or your tablet or your computer. Go back and listen. But this is our our last week in Galatians. Um, Next week is National Adoption Sunday. And uh, adoption is something um, really special to my family and it's biblical and it's going to be an amazing Sunday as we talk about um, what God says about adoption and taking care of the orphans and how we should be praying for this and how we should be praying about how we can be involved in this and if God is calling us to do this, but God does call all of us to be a part of it. So, we're going to be doing that. And then we're going to have some holiday, um, gospel centered um, Joseph and Mary and wise men messages during uh, Christmas. And then we are jumping into 12 months of Exodus, which I am praying and excited about. So, I hope you are involved. But this Sunday, we are in Galatians 6. I don't know about you, but Galatians has been really good to me been really good to me. And and as a pastor, I've had some great conversations with you guys. I've had some great conversations with people who live in different states and countries that I've never met and I don't know. Because Galatians does this wonderful job of really addressing the tension um, and maybe distortions between like what you thought you understood about Jesus and um, you believing that your denomination is going to save you and all the things that you've done and what your grandfather and father told you to be truth but might not be. And then what Jesus says saves. And so for so many of you, Paul walks into that space and says, listen, your, your baptism, your, your circumcision, your denomination, your last name, your money, your, your attendance, that is not going to save you. And for so many of you, you say, well, man, I've, I've been brought up and that's all I've heard. you know, if you go to church and you check that box and you give a little money and you help with VBS, that God has a space for you in heaven. And so I've had so many wonderful conversations of people coming and going, hey, Hunter, um, man, that is me. I know I live in Huntington, but it feels like Galatia. Like, that is how I was raised. Like, I thought my denomination was going to save me. I thought my baptism was going to save me. I thought my 10% was going to save me. Paul is speaking to me, and I was really blessed by having so many good biblical conversations with you guys around that, that area of, like, could this be me? Like, could this be me? And I was blessed by those time with you. It's very relevant to today's time. And then we were just talking about, as Galatians kind of went, into chapters four, five, and, and six, Paul stepping into that space and looking at his brothers and sisters. And what does he say? Brother, what happened to you? Remember? What happened to you last week? You were running so well. What happened to you? And it talks about one self-reflection. Has my run? Has my race been altered? Has it been distorted? Am I taking a knee or do I need to step into those spaces with other people and and how to do so well? And that is where we're going to end in chapter 6. So look at verses 1 and 2. Paul is still in that circle, stepping in as a minority, talking to those who are believers. That's important to understand. He's not talking to those who are lost. He's talking to the church. And this is how he ends his letter beautifully. He says this, brothers, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So understand this. He's not speaking to the lost man. So he's not saying, hey, listen, if, you're, if your brother, your next door neighbor who hates Jesus, if he falls, practically go and help him as he struggles. Well, that's a kind act and gesture, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying if one of your brothers within the body of Christ who is born again, who is running well, if he falls, restore him, restore her in gentleness. Man, highlight that, gentleness. Considering yourself lest you also be tempted, bear with one another each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, being to love your neighbor. Now, I love this. Because if you've been committed and you have followed and you have been two months in Galatians and you have seen it evolve and transpire in the conversation from the beginning of, man, I am marveled that you've turned away so quickly from the gospel, which saves to now what happened to you. Paul brilliantly, as a shepherd and a friend and as a pastor, as someone who is wise, he ends this letter in the way that it should end. Now understand, Paul is not physically with these people, right? So Paul is not in a situation where he goes, hey, listen, everyone quiet. Daddy's coming upstairs to handle this, right? So he's not hearing all the ruckus and going, man, I gotta step in and sit everybody down and fix this problem. Paul doesn't have that in his right hand. So he is speaking from a distance, right? So the success of these people and the longevity of their success depends on not him fixing it, but him teaching those who are strong to do what is needed. You see this with children, and you see this with parents. For so many of us, man, we want our kids to be able to run well, but for so many of us, we're trying to run their races for them, right? And so for some of you, your kids are not in elementary, they're not in middle, they're not in high school, they're in college or later in life and you get a phone call from states away going, hey, listen, I'm in trouble and you go, hey, listen, dad is 11 hours away. Like, I can't step in there and bring you home. Like, I hope you learned and I taught you how to run well but for so many of us, we're trying to run those races for our children and that's not going to help them. That's not going to sustain them. That is not going to see success in the longevity. We must teach our children and those who come behind us to run well, right? So what does Paul tell them? He says, for you guys that are running well, for you that are not winded, he says spiritual, for you guys that are strong, for you guys that have stayed close to the gospel, the false teachers hasn't swayed you away. What does he say? Pick your brother up. For you guys that are running well, because listen, everybody in Galatia didn't fall. There were some that were solid. He said, For you guys that are running at a good pace, he says, Pick your brother up. Bear with those who aren't running well. Now remember, even though it would be biblical, practical, and helpful that Paul was saying, hey, listen, if your neighbor doesn't have food, feed him. And even though it would be an amazing act of kindness to clothe the poor and and love the needy, that's not what Paul is talking about, even though it would be helpful, practically. What does Paul say? What do burdens mean? What does he mean by this? He says, listen, if your brother, if your sister, who are saved in part of the body if they fall in sin, if their race gets weaker and slower, if they fall to temptation, gently restore them. Gently restore them. But Paul warns. He says, man, if anybody is brave and loves your brother enough and is faithful to Step into that space of, brother, what happened to you? If you step into that space, if you become the minority, do it gently. Listen to what Paul says. He says, for those people who do, for those people who sit us down, that help us run when we've taken a knee, what does he say? Verse 2, bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Paul says, now listen to me, as you take a knee to lift your brother up When you see the temptations and the falling and the the slow running of your brother or sister, and you step into that space to help them run well, be aware that their falling, that their temptation might pour onto you. Be humble, be wise, understand. Don't walk into that space and say, Man, if you would just be like me, Paul says. So remember, he's thinking about the longevity of the church. He goes, Man, Philip, if you are running strong, brother, come beside Hunter, lift him up, but understand that you are not the goal. He goes, there will be a temptation to think that. If you can just run at my pace, if you can just come to church like I come to church, if you can give like I give, if you can be the husband that I am, be like me. Paul goes, listen, when you step into that circle and you say what has happened to you, there will be temptation to fall into, I am the goal. For so many of us, so many of us will be too cowardly to step into that space and say what needs to be said to other people. But in the same token, very few of us will be able to step into that space and do it well, because we will forget to do it gently. We will be prideful and we will be self-righteous and we will be judgmental. And Paul says, watch this. Our goal as a church, our calling as a church, our charge as a church is to walk with one another. We have a body here. And as we grow, we are gonna constantly have people fall. I was just talking with Miss Sue. I'm a young man, and sometimes I see your discipline sway and your faith sway and your mind sway. And at times, I want to say, hey, listen, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. But there's also this temptation of, man, why can't you run like I'm running? Why can't you run at my speed? Right? Right? And in that, there is self-righteousness and in there, there is pride and in there, there is judgment. And Paul says, listen, if you step into that space of lifting your brother up, make sure your eyes are on the grace that was given to you or you will forget the grace that is needed in them. If you're a note taker, the best way, because we all have people in our life that need Jesus, that need to see Jesus, that need to repent and run to Jesus, the best way, the most effective way to point someone to Christ, to show them that they need Jesus is to show them that you need him just as much. To walk into that space and say, you need Christ just like I need Christ. So many of us will not be effective with stepping into that circle and correcting, and guiding, and discipling, because we will do so in a self-righteous way, in a prideful way, in a judgmental way, in an angry way. And Paul goes, man, if you step in there, man, phase one completed, but do it gently. My heart breaks. Remember, what does Paul say that it's like? Like childbirth. I am hurting for you. My heart is breaking. God wants better for you in this, but don't walk into that space of, can you keep up with me because you won't be effective and you will turn people away. I want you to flip to Luke 18. I want you to see how this just plays out in some of our words and actions. I want you to see it. Look at Luke 18. It's the only time I have you flip Luke 18. Look at verse 10 through 14. Kids, follow me, because I'm going to talk about you guys here in a second. I'm going to step into that space, okay? Look at verse 10. Here's an example of this. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. God, praise Jesus, I'm not like them. Right? You ever prayed such a thing? The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. The extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even as this tax collector beside me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess, and the tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Go back to Galatians. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He deceives himself. You know, I see this a lot in children. Um, I see this a lot in kids and adolescents, and I see that we do this as parents in their lives. You know, my two oldest boys, I can't have a lot of grown-up conversations with my girls, but I'm getting to a point that I can have them with my boys. And understand, my boys are, are nowhere close to perfect. One's a little bit too passive, and the other one is way too aggressive, so I'm constantly like, hey, man, be nicer to your brother. Love your brother. And the other one, I'm going, hey, listen, maybe if you whoop him every once in a while, he'll stop picking on you, right? Right? <laughs> Nowhere close to perfect, but through God's grace and their faith, God has saved both my boys. And so I've seen God grow my children at a young age. I've seen good things. So I've been blessed by that. And so you see sanctification, and remember when I say sanctification, I mean the the process of after salvation of growing closer and more like Jesus. Jesus. And in child sanctification, um, their little um, systems are shocked, their faith are shocked at times of worldliness and sin. So an example of this, and you've seen this most likely, saved or lost. Your kids at a certain age and a certain grade will come home and go, hey, Dad, man, like third grade is like an R-rated movie. Like I've never heard such things before. Like, man, it is getting real up in elementary school, right? Right? Or they'll hear things about just inappropriateness that, you know, no one knows what they're talking about, but they'll hear it. I've had my kids come home and go, hey, what does, which I'm not going to say to you in a sermon, what does this mean? I'll go, okay, like we're at that space. Okay, I need to hurry the birds and the bees up quick, right? And their little systems are just kind of shocked by evil and sin. My boys have a lot of issues, but um, they're a little put off and they don't understand just kind of like just meanness. And so like, man, just like, why is that kid making fun of me? And like, why is that person laughing at me? Like, why is it, I, don't, I don't even understand, like, why is this even happening and understand me? There have been times I've sat with my boys and I said, hey, brother, listen to me. We are called to love all people, but we don't have to spend time with everybody. And someone says that they're your friend that makes fun of you and laughs at you. Brother, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but they're not your friend. And I hope they figure it out, and I hope they do well, and we're going to love them. But it might not be wise for you to spend every hour with them. I said that. Hang on it. While all in the same breath reminding my children That the forgiveness and mercy, love, and grace that is needed for that child is the same mercy, grace, and love and forgiveness that they need themselves. So, as children, we raise them up, and our little kids go, Well, we don't curse, and we don't bully, and we don't make fun of, and we don't do drugs, and we don't drink. We don't watch these types of movies. And you know what we do? We raise little self-righteous children. You ever seen it? And so I will sit with my child and I'll go, hey man, I'm so thankful that you're not making fun of kids. I'm so thankful that they're not finding drugs in your locker. I'm so thankful that you're not talking about inappropriate things. I'm so thankful that you're loving classmates. I'm so thankful for these things. I am thankful for them, but understand you are no greater than. And understand that the grace and mercy that they need is no different than the grace and mercy that you need. See, self-righteousness, does not just plague adults self-righteousness is seen in my four-year-old my 11 year old and all it through my family and paul goes listen to me if anyone steps into that space and they think they are something when they are nothing he deceives himself He says, listen to me, I am far away, my letter, I can only write so much. If you step into that space, do it gently, do it in a way that they see and they know that the one who runs with them needs God's grace just as much as the grace that you're telling them that they need. God forgives like he has forgiven me. How many of us struggle with this? How many of us will see someone failing and a marriage failing and a mind failing and decisions failing, and we will almost get self-satisfaction on, I got kind of a spiritual leg up on these people. If you could just run like me, if you could just run like me, and Paul goes, listen, there's going to be temptation to do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Step in there gently, step in there with grace, step in there with love, step in there with humility. Look at verse six. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches the word. That is saying, take care of your teachers. We're not gonna spend much time on there. But those who step into that space, those who dedicate their lives to teaching, your Sunday school, your Bible study, your deacons, your leaders, your families, your pastors, take care of them. Take care of them. Paul goes, listen, there are very few people that are gonna dedicate their lives to running with you. For those who, who dedicate themselves running with you, you better keep them up. You better keep them up. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will not, of the will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary. Will you highlight this for me, church? We're almost done. Eight weeks, <laughs> Hours and hours of teaching through this, reading every word, being challenged by Galatians, you have come to the end. Highlight 9 and 10. What does Paul say? Let us not grow what? Let us not grow what? Weary. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to all those who are the household of faith. So many people, and I say this a lot, so many people have a hard time understanding the purpose of the church. I hope you bring all your lost friends in here. I hope you bring all the people who don't know Jesus, and I hope we baptize a million next Sunday. I hope the church grows abundantly with people who don't know the Lord. I pray all those things. But the church was created and given for believers. And God God says, hey, listen, you're not going to help the other person unless you help yourself first and your people first. Keep each other up. For those who are running, for those who are saved, love them graciously, gently keep them, keep their runs going. I love those verses. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Keep running. Last week, God will sustain your steps if you're looking for encouragement, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Man, look at this. You've been here with us. Look at it. Verse one, I mean, chapter one, verse six. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ. He ends with, stay focused. This is the gospel. You've been corrected. I've done it truthfully. The truth hurts at times. Nothing is going to save you except your trust and faith in Christ and what he's accomplished. Keep running and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I told you guys that I was only going to have you flip once, but this is where we close before we go into our Lord's Supper. I want you to see it. Go to Psalm 17. The last thing I got for you. You're almost done running this morning. I want you to see it. We were there on Wednesday night. We had such a phenomenal Bible study. If you're not plugged in on Wednesday night, man, you're missing out, I really encourage you to be there. We had great conversation, great time of prayer, and great encouragement on Wednesday night in Psalm 17, and these are the verses that we spent our time on, and some of you didn't hear it, and I want you to hear it. This is David, okay? This is David. You understand that David is king. David is not peasant David. David is not poor David. He's not lonely David. This is King David, And what does he say about life? And what does he say about faith? Look at 14 and 15. With your hand from men, O Lord, from men of this world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasures, they are satisfied with children and they leave the rest of their possessions for their babes. I love this word. Paul says, stay focused. David says, stay faithful. 15, as for me, I will see your faith, face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. He says, my satisfaction will come in glory. My satisfaction will come in heaven. My satisfaction will come when I am with you. Paul says, stay focused. People are going to come and they're going to teach you something that is false. You are going to be led away. You're going to be tempted to sway. You're going to take a knee. Your run will slow Stay focused, eyes on Christ. Love one another well. Be humble. God is enough. Keep your eyes on Christ. As I call my praise team up and we go into our Lord's Supper, we're going to end in the text of Galatians. I thought it was appropriate and and I thought it was a beautiful setup. To what we see Paul say the same in first Corinthians when he speaks on the Lord's Supper so I want you to see these words before we pray look at verses 11 through 13 still in Galatians that's how we're finishing this morning Paul says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. I just like how he said that. I like how he worded that. You could almost see, you know, you got to understand, like, this isn't written for me. He didn't write this in a book with chapters. He wrote this down, and what did he say? He goes, guys, I'm not done yet. There's a, there's a few more words. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand, exclamation point. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised, though, keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. So as we go into our Lord's Supper, and as Paul closes his letter to the Galatians, Like his words in 1 Corinthians as he teaches on the Lord's Supper, he says that there is nothing that we can do to become right with Christ. Become circumcised does not work. You're not circumcised does not work. Baptism is great, but will not save you. Join the church, come every time the door's open, give 12%, go on every mission trip without a faith and trust submission to Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Salvation will not come to you. You will be a man or a woman of Matthew 7. I never knew you. I never knew you. You understand that this was a very, very foreign, hard word for anyone to speak during these times. Remember what we said week one? The crowd would have looked at Paul and said, brother, chill out. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. I got no issue with God. I got no problem with Jesus. And Paul goes, hey, listen, this is a hill to die on, week one. Salvation comes only one way, and that is a faith and trust in what Christ has accomplished and who he is. As we go into prayer here, before we take part in the, in the bread, I want to challenge you. For some, you are saved. In the Lord's Supper, what we do at Eastview, it's a combination. It's a dance between reflection and repentance and then celebration for who he who forgives. It's a beautiful thing. And so for some of you, you're saved and you know you're saved. You know that you are born again, but we are all sinners. And our trash cans get filled just like everyone else. And we are called to be humble, to look in the mirror, James says, to see our sin, to turn, to repent, and to run towards Christ. So I pray that if you are saved here, don't just listen to the word, go to the Lord. God, forgive me. God, forgive me for my sin. Show me my sin. Forgive me of my sin. For some of you that are in this room, you have not answered the call to stand forward and say, I know I am one of these people. I think that I was saved by those waters. I think that I was saved by that percentage. I think that I was saved by that attendance I think that I was saved by whatever it was he said I do not know Jesus I am one of the people of Galatia I pray that you stand forward and you walk forward and God save my life I have not put my trust in you I have not put my faith in you I have not put my submission in you stand forward God save me I see I see I see let's bow our heads Brent will you pray for us brother
1: Father, the the plea of our pastor is with the knowledge of it is the Lord who opens the eyes of the blind. And Father, for those of us who you have opened our eyes to, we give you thanks and we give you praise that we have eyes to see and ears to hear. But Father, we we know that repentance is a lifelong journey. You request us to repent and believe daily. And Father, every morning that we, we we awaken... That is a new day to trust in you and to turn from our sins, Father. Father, help us to, to know that repentance is not merely behavioral. Father, it is not merely turning from wrong to do right. It is understanding that we are in opposition to you. We, we disagree with you. Father, our first step in repentance is to believe that, Father, you are right, we are wrong, we're in need, and you have supplied for our need. So as we praise you in this act of worship, let us repent. But, Father, we know that we're not begging for those in Christ. We're not begging for you to save us again, Father. We have been justified before a holy God. Let us celebrate that fact now in Jesus' name. Amen.